0: And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And you know, it is football season, and we have a guest who's going to show you how to tie football into selling. His name is Jeff Beals. He's the award-winning author of Self-Marketing Power, Branding Yourself as a Business of One, and his recently released book called Selling Saturdays, Blue Chip Sales Tips from College Football. His uniquely diverse career has made him an industry leader and sought-after speaker on marketing, branding, and sales topics. He's a professional speaker, as I said, and he delivers keynote speeches and workshops to diverse audiences worldwide. He's a member of the National Speakers Association and sits on the board of directors for the Kansas City chapter of the National Speakers Association. He's also the co-host of an award-winning radio talk show on 1110 KFAB, a Fox News affiliate, and in 2009 he served served as host of a weekly television show on an NBC affiliate. He's also a frequent media guest, quoted and interviewed extensively by major national media, and we're very, very excited to have Jeff on the show today to share his insights with all of you business owners on selling techniques from the uh, point of view of a college football coach. Welcome to the show today.
1: Thanks, Kelly. I am glad to be here, and I appreciate you having me on the program.
0: Oh, absolutely. Just very happy to have you here, Jeff. Now let's talk about your new book. It's fresh off of the presses and again I keep talking about how you relate this to college football. Mm-hmm. How how did you come up with that idea and why <laughs> college football? Why is that an appropriate metaphor?
1: Well, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a unique angle, and that's for sure, but mm-hmm. if you think about it, there's a long heritage of using Sports for success in business, or uh, but a lot of times it's geared towards management or leadership or what have you. But I got to tell you, several years ago, I was driving to work and and I was listening to uh, the local radio and um, the sportscaster came on and he, he said that the the local uh, college football team had just landed a commitment, a high school. Uh, star player had committed to go play for my alma mater, the local sports team. And so I was all excited about that, Kelly. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that's good. And uh, But then the sportscaster said, you won't believe the backstory behind this. As it turned out, this star star player that so many teams from around the country wanted to have um, grew up in a tough neighborhood in south-central Los Angeles. And because he grew up in a single-family household and his mother didn't want to be on public assistance and all this sort of thing, she worked four jobs. Oh, my. And, yeah, because she worked these four jobs, it meant that the coaches at my alma mater couldn't get to her. Uh, because one of the things you have to know, if you're going to be successful in recruiting, selling a college football player, or rather a high school football player on your college football team, you have to go through the mom. I mean, uh-huh. you're You remember uh, former coach Barry Switzer of Oklahoma, don't you, Kelly? I
0: absolutely do, yes.
1: Yeah, he was a character, and and he told me that uh, mama's packed the suitcases uh, (laughs) so you don't get the boy without the mom. And so (laughs) the coaches of my alma mater were kind of stymied because they couldn't get to his mom. Well, as it turned out, uh, one of her four jobs was as a city bus driver in Los Angeles. And so they went to L.A., somehow or another figured out her bus route, waited at a bus stop somewhere oh, in the city of Los Angeles when she pulled up they entered the bus they introduced themselves sat in the front row and essentially sold her uh on my alma mater for 3 or 4 hours as she drove around the city Good. and <laughs> yeah, my first what was... <laughs> have thought yeah that's what they the wanted it. they wanted it
0: badly enough that there's a will there's a way
1: oh yeah absolutely and and so so as i'm sitting there thinking i'm so proud of the coaches of my favorite team um I then started to get this different feeling, and the different feeling was guilt because I started thinking to myself, would, would I be willing to go to that much trouble for my job for just one client when I go to L.A. and ride around a bus on four hours trying to sell the bus driver on the services I provide? And, Kelly, the answer was maybe, maybe not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I think that's probably what a lot of our listeners would be saying, too. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, because it seems like a lot to do and, and so then it then it kinda of occurred to me, what if we all not only worked as hard as these coaches do, uh, but what if we sold and marketed our businesses the way they do and as intently as they do? And and that's kinda of where the idea of this book comes from, because you you would be amazed about how hard they work. I mean, it is very, very normal. Kind of the the base expectation for a major college football coach, at least in season, is a sixteen hour work day. Um, if not uh, 20. And uh, that doesn't leave much time for sleep or, or family or hobbies or anything else. And not at so, all. Yeah, so this works so hard. And the reason they have to do it is that it's so brutally competitive. So I'll tell you, Kelly, because of that aha moment as a guy who writes business books, I thought, okay, I'm going to go out and interview these star coaches. And I targeted mostly the ones that uh, were retired because they were more likely to spill the beans and open up and tell great stories. Yeah, cause, they have the
0: time. They're not working the 20-hour work weeks anymore.
1: You're kidding. Yeah, you're not kidding. And, and and also, they don't feel the competitive pressure. I'm not going to divulge my secrets. Well, their secrets are pretty much over because they're not doing it anymore. <laughs> sure. So sure. talk to the legendary guys that a lot of your listeners will recognize. You know, I mentioned Barry Switzer already right. interviewed him, Tom Osborne, Hayden Fry, um, R.C. Slocum, who was at Texas A&M, Gary Barnett from Colorado, um, John Cooper at Ohio State, Philip Ful- Fulmer at Tennessee, several, several more, and um, these guys were very forthcoming, and they loved sharing their stories, and then my job as the author was to take all those stories and fit them in where they fit in <clears throat> during the sales process, from right. strategy and branding all the way through sales presentations to closing deals.
0: Let's talk about some of those. What did you find? I'm sure you found some common strains among all of them, mm-hmm. but what were some of the unique Uh, pieces of insight that you were able to, uh, that they divulge to you during Mm -hmm. the course of your interviews, you know, in the way that they sell their product, what Mm -hmm. the football coaches in particular, uh, what is something out there?
1: It's interesting, Kelly, it all comes down to two basic things. One is value, uh, and that the salesperson has to determine what the prospect values and never, ever assume uh, and I can explain that a little bit later in, in a moment, but, but, but determining what it is they value and realizing that the coach never determines value, only the prospect determines value. Right. The other thing that really kept coming through from coach after coach and through all these stories was that you have to develop trusting relationships very quickly that are still very legitimately trusting relationships. And and what I mean by that is that uh, uh, these guys are under uh, and incredible competitive pressure you have 120 division one football teams mm-hmm. each one can take 25 athletes at the most each year yet there are only about a couple hundred athletes that are considered the true difference makers that everybody wants and so if you do the math it means the the, the great prospects are very scarce yeah and so they have to i called it climbing the relationship depth chart uh because of the football term depth chart sure. exactly. and you 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 start in at rapport. Uh, First thing, all you want to do is build rapport. But once you have that, the only thing you care about is establishing a relationship. And then once the relationship there is, then you can focus on trust. And when trust is present, everything is possible. And then and only then do you try to get the deal signed, call the question, get the order. And those are the two big things.
0: Yeah. Well, and, you know, when you apply that to the typical sales process, those steps that you just described are hard enough to do. But when Mm -hmm. you talk about a football coach trying to bring on a recruit, it has to be all that much harder because they're probably thinking, okay, these people want me, they're going to tell me anything. And so there's Mm -hmm. so much skepticism and and watching your back that's probably going on because you – they know that you know that you're they're really trying to woo you hard and so to get to that level where there's the rapport the relationship and the trust you know there i just would think there's so much cynicism and and skepticism Mm -hmm. (laughs) on the part of the prospect you really really like me or you know value me i just think it would be that much tougher for them but obviously for for our sales People out there, i.e., our business owners, because all business owners are salespeople, whether they like it or not, uh, mm-hmm. they they find the same things because you know there's there's uh, you're certain major big fish that you're trying to to court, uh, and they probably are very much aware of it. So that that value proposition is is extremely important. Uh, let's talk about you mentioned the numbers. You, you did a little bit of the numbers there. There's so many. Uh, Potential prospects out there for for a football player, and you think of all the high school players out there. And you said that there's maybe 200 that are really the game changers. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that for business people too, that you know you look out there and there's a store or a business on every corner, and you know plenty of the places in between the corners. And you think, oh, lots lots of people, but maybe not so fast. Mm-hmm. Maybe those aren't the game changer prospects that you should be calling on so talk to us a little bit about the relationship there between the football analogy and the the business analogy
1: well yeah when when you're talking about a star client or what you know some industries call the big elephant client and Mm -hmm. and certainly if you're one of the 200 best high school football players in america you're a big elephant client in that particular industry Uh, when, when you're selling to those types of people one of the things that you have to do uh, is you have to make them feel extremely special. Each prospect has to feel extremely special, like they're the only person that matters, because everyone is treating them that way. But the the challenge for you is there a way that you can make them feel special that is special from the other ways everyone is making them feel special. And I'll give you one little story from the book that I think you'll get a kick out of. Um, This one goes back to the early 1970s, mid-1970s. And that's when uh, Billy Sims was a high school running back in a small town in Texas. And Barry Switzer, who was the head coach of Oklahoma at the time, was one of the many guys who was trying to recruit this Billy Sims kid. And he was going really close head-to-head with the University of Texas. It was real quite a battle. And, and Coach Switzer would do everything he possibly could. In fact, he flew in a private jet um, to Billy Sims' house in Texas uh, as often as he could throughout uh, the season each week and would see all his high school games and hang out with the family and do the family's dishes. and I mean, doing everything <laughs> he could possibly do. But he was still in a tough battle for this kid. Well, there, there was one thing that coaches did back then and have done for years and years. That is, any time you were uh, before a game, uh, whether you were at home in your office or in your hotel room, if it was a road game, you would have your list of your top prospects that you were recruiting, and you would call them and you would say something like, hey, Kelly, this is Coach Switzer. I'm here in South Bend, Indiana, getting ready to play Notre Dame. But you know what, Kelly? All I'm doing is thinking about you and how much I wish you were on my team right now. (laughs) And, and of course, Coach Switzer did that because you make these kids feel good. But the problem was the players see right through it. Because if you're a guy like Billy Sims, you were getting that same call from the guy at (laughs) (laughs) Texas and probably the guy at Missouri and KU, too, and everyone Uh else. And and so, so he wanted to find a way to make it special, Switzer did. So as it turned out, they were playing the University of Colorado back in 1974, and it was out in Boulder. And Oklahoma was winning 28 to nothing at halftime. And so Switzer felt, he was a pretty cocky guy, if you remember, but he felt pretty comfortable. And so he was kind of relaxed going to the locker room. But he goes in the locker room, and he sees a payphone on the wall. And this was before the era of cell phones, of course. Uh-huh. So he, he gets the necessary change. He calls the Conoco Gas Station in rural Texas, where he knew this Billy Sims high school football star had his weekend job. He gets on the phone. The manager answers. He goes, this is Coach. Get Billy on the phone. So Billy comes on the phone and says, Coach, you're supposed to be at the game. So Switzer says, yeah, are you listening And the radio? goes, yeah. He goes, well, then you know it's halftime, and I'm calling you right now. And so he purposely called and talked to Billy Sims for the entire period of the halftime. Wow. Because he wanted him to know that he wasn't calling anyone else. In fact, it got to the point where the referee uh, goes into the locker room and shouts at Switzer says, Coach, you better get your team on the field or you're going to forfeit this game. And so Switzer yells in the phone and goes, You just heard the ref, I gotta go finish this butt whipping, but next time we come out here you're gonna be on my team and you're gonna be
0: Oh like, man.
1: Could you imagine doing something like that for a prospective client and showing them oh. how much you value them and how powerful yes. that would be?
0: Yeah. That it, absolutely go in, and it that is a real differentiator. Uh something mm-hmm. something that you just wouldn't expect most people to do. And there are many other examples, I know, in your book like that. You mentioned something, though, when you were telling that story. And you, you mentioned listening.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Why is listening so important? I mean, we hear all the time that it's important to listen and uh, that, I don't know, it's almost it's almost overused you have to be a good listener. But you say that you put a different spin on it. Tell us why you think listening is so important.
1: Yeah, and I think I think you you nailed something right on the head there because because we have heard it so important, we no longer consider it important at least subconsciously. Right. You know, okay, everyone thinks okay, I got to listen, I got to listen, but too often they're focusing on the fact that I have got to show that I'm listening, and they're really not comprehending. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Barnett, who was the coach of Colorado and Northwestern, said that you've got to listen and truly hear, and 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 there's a big difference. You've got to actually know what you're listening for, and and one of the problems is we often have these uh, pre-established assumptions about what our prospects want or what they're like and we listen for what we think we should hear instead of truly hearing. And I'll give you one example. Uh, When Tom Osborne coached at Nebraska uh, back in the early 90s, they were recruiting a star athlete from New Orleans by the name of Marshall Falk. And uh, this was a great, great kid, great athlete. Everyone in the world wanted him. Uh, And Nebraska had an assistant coach named Jack Pierce who, who worked with this Marshall Falk and really built a strong relationship. Felt that he was climbing up that relationship depth chart that i talk about well eventually came time for coach osborne as the head coach to make his one allowed visit he goes down to new orleans it goes great everything worked out well Uh, he leaves the house the assistant coach leaves the house they think they pretty much have him Mm -hmm. well national signing day comes that's the day where these kids can officially designate where they're going to school and playing football right and on that day he goes to san diego state which nice weather but
0: not a great yeah. player. <laughs> a great exactly. football player.
1: Exactly. And, so, and so Osborne and, and, and Jack Pierce were just befuddled. Why did we lose this guy? Well, they did a little bit of a post mortem, and it turned out that this Marshall Fault kid wanted to play running back, which, if you know anything about him, you're thinking, yeah, duh, because he turned out to be one of the greatest running backs in the history of uh, football. But back in those days, all of the coaches at the big time schools were recruiting him as a defensive back. And Coach Osborne said to me, you know, it's kind of interesting, Jeff. We knew everything about this kid. We knew everything about his family. We could have told you his favorite flavor of ice cream.
0: (laughs) But not that he wanted to play running back.
1: Yeah, we failed to ask one important question. Marshall, what side of the ball do you want to play on? And if we would have asked that question, we would have had him because we would have let him play running back. And so, you know, the moral of the story is I think oftentimes we as providers or owners of businesses, we know the product better than our customers do, we, but, but we have to because we, we created the product. We offer the product. But there's a danger when you know so much, like the way Coach Osborne knew so much about football. Sometimes you can fall in the assumption trap, and you think you're listening, but you might be assuming.
0: Absolutely. Now, you said he he knew – The right flavor of ice cream even but he didn't know which side of the ball he wanted to be on yeah that leads to another question and that is along with the listening you have to be able to ask the right questions and so Mm -hmm. i'm I'm assuming that you listen hard enough Mm -hmm. that you the the right questions come to you but i'm not going to make that assumption (laughs) i'm I'm going to ask you i'm going to ask you how is listening and asking the right questions how's that related
1: well, I, I, I'm going to talk about a guy named R.C. Slocum who led Texas A&M for a number of years. And, and Coach Slocum was a great recruiter. And one of the things he said was, you have to ask probing questions, probing questions. Because a lot of times these football coaches and also regular salespeople um, just chit-chat. For instance, coaches, every Sunday night, uh, it's a tradition that you call your top prospects. And, and he said a lot of times you know coaches would get on the phone, Sunday night and they'd say, Hey, how was your game this weekend? Great. How many touchdowns did you score? How's your girlfriend? How's your mom and dad? etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And never really get beyond that. But Coach Slocum said he always had a written list of questions that would get him information he needed from a prospect to advance the selling process. And he didn't get off the phone until he had those answered. And so he would dig and dig and dig. Mm-hmm. And then along those lines, he said also though, be careful before, you know, that you, you probe just a little and think you've got a green light to go down a path and go screaming down that path before it's ready. Uh, for instance, you know, he said you could ask a question and a kid could say, uh, oh, yeah, I'm going to be an engineering major. And then you start going on about how great the engineering school is at Texas A&M. Uh, but if you don't ask probing questions, you might not realize that the kid hates engineering and is only doing it because his dad is forcing him <laughs> to study that. And, and another example that Coach Slocum said that I think he'll get a kick out of, he said, uh, you know, one kid talked about uh, – how he loved Texas A&M, and he was really located really close to campus. And so Slocum said, you know, you can come play here, and it's so close. Your mom and dad can see you every week, and your girlfriend can come visit you whenever she wants. He then asked the probing questions to find out that one of the biggest reasons that he wanted to go to college was to get away from the girlfriend.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wrong wrong hot button there. So, no, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we're all confronted with as salespeople is the No. No matter how hard we try, and you mentioned it yourself, you know you you think you're going down the right path, that you got the green light, everything's looking good, and you you try to close the sale and you get the no. No matter how hard we've tried, how do football coaches deal with getting the no, despite their best efforts, and what application does that have for all of us out in business?
1: Well, I, I think a great deal, and, and of course, one of the old cliches is that no doesn't mean no, it means not yet, which is actually pretty true in a lot of cases, but the way that it works is how you handle the no. Um, Coach Slocum, the same guy I was talking about just a minute ago, uh, recalled early in his career, one time he worked so hard to sell this young man on on the university, and, and the kid said no, and he was just heartbroken and devastated. But as time would get on, uh, and, and as time went on, and he became more experienced, he would kind of massage those nose. And he pointed out one particular case where this kid was under a lot of pressure, and, and uh, Coach Slocum called him to talk to him about Texas A&M. He says, the "Kid says, you know what, Coach? I, I I made a decision. I already told such and such university I'm going to go there." And without skipping a beat, Coach Slocum responded to the kid. He goes, "You know what, man? I know you're under a lot of pressure." And, I can understand why you'd want to get this whole process over with and know where you're going to go to school. But I'll tell you what, I'm just going to stay right here. I'm going to stay in your life. I'm going to keep calling you periodically. I'm going to keep coming by and visiting. And all of the reasons why Texas A&M was so good for you are still there. And all of the things that you and I build are still there. There's no pressure at all. I'm just going to stay right here and be a part of your life. And it worked. He got the kid, and he was a four-year starter. But the reason it worked was that he didn't panic. He said, one of the worst things you could do, Kelly, to say uh, something like, "Oh no, I'm heartbroken. I'm I'm so upset. I work so hard." That drives a wedge. Sure. Or if you tried to criticize that other choice, then you're offending him. So the best thing to do is just, "I'm going to stay a part of your life and not let go.
0: Right. I'm here." Right. Absolutely. And that that bit about the the panicking, because uh, I, I know that uh, in business you you can uh, fall laps into that criticizing of the competition so easily, mm-hmm. and I see uh, a lot of I guess green or inexperienced salespeople fall Mm -hmm. into that sometimes and you just think oh no you know i hear them do it when they call on me and Mm -hmm. i'm thinking oh no and i've I've actually told a couple of them you know if you can't sell your product based on its own merits and you have to trash the competition Mm -hmm. um don't don't come back and see me and uh, you know it's it's just uh, awful to see people do that. But as you say, stick with them, take the pressure off, and things change. Circumstances change. And it may not, like you say, it may not be now, but somewhere down the road, and if you've kept that uh, that relationship alive and you've taken the uh, upper road, so to speak, mm-hmm. then there's a good chance that you'll have an opportunity uh, in a little while about it. Now, speaking of you know, asking for the order, sometimes <laughs> getting the no, you talked very early on in this interview about, the uh, relationship mm-hmm. when is the right time to close or to ask for the order sometimes people never ask for it amazingly mm-hmm. <laughs> and then sometimes people are in their five minutes and say okay yeah it, here's I, I explained everything you do we do if you like it here sign here and you mm-hmm. get both extreme so 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 give us some advice there
1: oh yeah and and and, and my research doing this Project with Selling Saturdays, I learned about several assistant coaches that were fired simply because they couldn't ask for the business. Absolutely, and it's so common. It's so common. And and I, you know, I, I sell stuff every day in my life, and and I know every once in a while I get a tinge of nervousness mm-hmm. when it's time to ask for that. But the key thing is whether you're selling scholarships at the University of Missouri, the University of Kansas, K State, or if you're selling Xerox machines, you have to you have to build the trust first. And if you build the trust first, the closing becomes a, an assumed um, formality. It is anticlimactic.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and
1: the thing is, the problem is a lot of people don't do a good enough job climbing. It, it's a classic case of preparation makes the result successful, or lack of preparation doesn't make it successful. One coach I talked to is a current head coach, so I wasn't able to say his name. Uh, a few years ago, he was recruiting a star running back out of the Dallas area. And this was a kid that everyone wanted, but the the coach at this uh, one school did a very good job of building a relationship with this young man. And one day they were uh, playing a game of horse, you know, they'll shoot basket sure. in his high school gymnasium, just the two of them, the coach and the kid. And um, and the, the assistant coach of this this football team happens to be a very good trick shot artist in basketball. It's one of his little abilities. And so he goes out to mid court in the high school gym and he says to the prospect, he goes, I'll tell you what, buddy. If I hit this half-court shot right here, you commit to the university right here on the spot. Deal? And the player says, you hit that shot, I'll commit right here and now. (laughs) The coach takes a deep breath, dribbles the ball three times, and boom, swish, sinks it perfectly. So he turns to the kid with this big grin on his face, and the kid shrugs his shoulder and says, I'm coming. Well, that worked. Uh, That little gimmick worked because they totally trusted each other, Mm -hmm. and both of them pretty much knew they were going to be together. Right, mm-hmm. it, it was just kind of a little hesitation, and he used it as a way to nudge him off the cliff. Now, if you tried that with someone you had not established trust with, they would say, "Who the hell are you, and why are you talking this way? Why are you disrespecting me in this way?"
0: Yeah. Right, just because you can shoot that ball doesn't mean yeah. that I, I like your football program or yeah. or whatever you're offering, uh, whatever product you're offering from a business standpoint. You know, let that that actually leads me to the next question. You talked about trust. So very important for closing the order. Then it becomes anticlimactic. But it strikes me that you hear all the time in college football about cheating and, you know, organizations going on probation because of the cheating, just different stuff that's not not, not very um, – it's just not – that doesn't set a good example. It's not good for the organization, for anybody, actually. And a lot of times salespeople are – Looked at in the same way. You hear the stereotypes, the sleazy car salesman, and mm-hmm. you know, you just get the bad reputation because of certain people in the industry who don't build that trust and who do scam. And so, talk to us a little bit about uh, the role that character plays these days in the selling process.
1: You know, I think it matters more and more all the time. And and if you look at the the football analogy yeah you hear so much about the cheating and there's this assumption there's a lot of cheating out there there's actually probably not quite as much as people think it's definitely there but it's getting harder and harder for coaches to cheat because you've got the internet now and, and right. every major team has a website with thousands of fans who comment on everything a coach does and so I mean could you imagine selling something Kelly in which uh, 16,000 people evaluate whether you should call that prospect or why the hell are you chasing this person or how stupid yeah. you are for not losing for losing that client so, so it's harder and harder to cheat but it still goes on same thing in the regular business world the the stakes are so high but i'll tell you what when you really exercise a great deal of character for the long run you're more successful and you know there was one time point in time where um coach tom osborne told me about a time in which a high school um, coach said to him you know coach all these other teams are telling this kid that he can start right away as a freshman I would like him to go to your school. Why don't you just tell him that he can start as a freshman? You'll get him, and then, then you don't have to worry about it. And Coach Osborne said, you know, I, I, I'd love to have him, but I can't say that because I can't live up to that promise because I've got other players who might beat him out. And, you know, of course, he stuck around for 25 years and won all these championships. And um, Coach Slocum told me about a time in which he, he went to a very, very poor household to recruit this player. And uh, it was a hot day. There was no air conditioning, nasty little tiny apartment. And this woman answered the door, single mom, and she said, Coach, I knew you were coming. It's so hot and you're tired, so I made you a sandwich. And he sits, she sits him down, and there was this little humble sandwich with the crust cut off of it and the, and a Dr. Pepper, and the paper towel was folded so carefully like it was practically origami or something. And, and Coach Slocum said, I almost started crying right then and there Aww. because I knew how much that meant to her. And he said, that kid grew up around a lot of class, and I know he's going to be successful. And sure enough, he he went and started for, for Coach Slocum for four years. And so I, I think if you really, it, it, when you're in the sales world, if you look for the things that have meaning, and you put the people around you before the product you're selling, I know it sounds like such a doggone cliche, but, but the research I found in this was that those coaches, even in this business where it's so tempting to cheat because the stakes are so high and the money is so big, Uh, those that really focus on people and character and try not to cheat are the ones that actually end up winning the most championships and uh, lasting the longest in the long run.
0: Absolutely. And as you said about the listening, sometimes these fundamentals become so clichéd that we tend to overlook them. But the reason they're fundamentals is because they work. And Mm -hmm. so between the listening, the building the trust, the relationship and the trust, and the character all of those fundamental to the selling process. And your book, a uh, fun read, and because obviously you were able to interview some of these coaches and, and make the analogies, so it's a lot of fun to read. And tell us where we can get the book now that it's out.
1: Okay, you can get it a couple places. SellingSaturdays.com, because the name of the book is Selling Saturdays, so it has its own website. And then it's also available on Amazon.com. Um, in both print and Kindle, and then finally you can find it through Barnes & Noble. Uh, I don't know if all the Barnes & Noble stores have it yet. That might take a while, but definitely BarnesAndNoble.com.
0: Okay, so uh, SellingSaturdays.com, Amazon.com, and BarnesandNoble.com, and perhaps uh, even some of the in-store uh, purchases there at Barnes and Noble. You have been a wealth of information today. You've reinforced, uh, as I said, in a very fun way, uh, some of the things every salesperson needs to know, and some new things thrown in there as well. Uh, any parting advice? As uh, you know, you said a lot of stuff this morning, but any one nugget that you're able to take away. Sure.
1: Yeah, I'll back up what you said just a minute ago. Selling and marketing are not rocket science. Um, They're they're hard. They take a lot of work. But if you're willing to uh, put people first, focus on what they value instead of yourself, find the influencers, and really focus on building relationships with them, um, anyone can be successful at it. And we talk about how some of the stuff is so obvious, but yet people don't do it. That's why the great marketers and salespersons make so much money because they take care of the little details and they put in the necessary work and they put the people first.
0: Well, Jeff, it has been wonderful having you here today. Thank you so much.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.